0: Beloved, my name is Mike Sherrod. I am your interim pastor. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you this morning. If you're relatively recent to Trinity, we're working through a series this fall called Begging Jesus. And our text today is Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. There's an outline for you in the bulletin right underneath the text If you have a Bible, you should open it because I'll refer to some context in just a bit. Luke 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do if I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Imagine you're sitting with a doctor who is describing to you in detail how to administer life saving medicine to your loved ones, your loved one. And in the middle of it, you interrupt her and say, hey, who do you think is going to win the game this afternoon? That would betray a stunning disregard for what is truly important. That's what we have in this text. Actually, in two individuals... One real, one fictitious. In the real individual, we will see a foolish discontentment because he's not asking the right questions about his soul. And in the fictitious individual, in the parable Jesus tells, we'll meet someone who betrays foolish contentment because he is not asking the right questions about his wealth. You are invited to identify with both of these individuals number one the actual man in the story who betrays foolishness in discontentment because he is not asking the important questions about his soul context is really important go back to verse 8 in Luke 12 Jesus is speaking to a crowd about really, really important matters of eternity. Verse 8, Jesus speaking, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, presumably at the second coming, at the end of history, the event that determines where you spend eternity. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Very serious stuff. And this man interrupts with a question about money. Verse 13. Teacher, rabbi, Jesus is known as a rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Apparently this man's older brother is choosing to keep the family estate intact, presumably its land, And this guy wants his fair share now. His preoccupation with the land betrays a stunning disregard for what is ultimately important. And so Jesus rebuffs him. Look at verse 14. Who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, man, you want a lawyer and it's true, in this day, rabbis did give judgments in legal manners like this. But Jesus saying, you want a lawyer? What you need is a teacher. And so Jesus has something far better for the man, far better than any amount of inheritance he has, a warning about greed. Verse 15, be on guard against every form of greed. Do you hear Jesus? Sir, you're so consumed with your brother's inheritance. It is killing you. It's owning you. You're all worried about this. You need to be concerned that your lust for this money not quench your appetite for the thing that ultimately matters, your desire for the imperishable in eternal kingdom of God. That's so much more important. And although it looks like the presenting issue here is money, it's not the root of the issue. The root issue is this man is not thinking wisely about his soul, and specifically his soul inheriting the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Jesus presses the issue in verse 15 not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions suppose you're standing there listening to this interchange and you heard jesus say even when you have an abundance your life does not consist of that what would you say would you be tempted to say huh tell me more rabbi I'm not sure I've really ever thought deeply about that, rabbi. Rabbi, I could have some blinders in my own thinking due to being a child of my culture. Would you unpack that for me? That would have been a really reasonable way to respond. And here's what Jesus would say. Yeah, you all need a minimum amount to live on. I'm delighted with my Father to provide that for you and I will. But your desire for things will prove insatiable. Your lust for money and everything you can buy, if unchecked, will never be satisfied. Proverbs twenty three five. Wealth makes itself wings and flies away. In other words, just at that moment you think, I think I've got all the stuff I need, wealth flies away. So you got to get more. And you think you're there, and it flies away. And you got to get more, more. They asked one very wealthy man, I think it was Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, somebody, they asked him, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little more. Yes, that's it. Wealth is elusive. And Jesus wants you to understand, beloved, the real issue. He says, what is your life? Now, there are two words in the Greek language for life. Bios. That's biological life. Everybody born into this world has bios. That's not the word Jesus uses. He uses the Greek word zoe which is the spiritual life God gives to those who are born again. It's the life you have, follower of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. It's the new life Jesus came to give you. And what is Jesus saying? You need to know how to protect that from things that might be assaulting it. And so when Jesus says, your life, your zoe, does not consist of your possessions, he is saying, any time you think about your wealth and your soul, what should you know? You need to know. The welfare of your soul is directly related to your attitude towards your wealth. You can't separate them in your thinking and be safe. So Jesus loves you. And he warns you, be on your guard against every form of greed. What is greed? It's desiring what God hasn't given you and being discontent with what God has given you. And Jesus says, be on your guard against every form of greed. That must mean there are many forms of greed. Maybe a sermon series. But greed tempts the rich, the poor, and everybody in between. So let me, as I finish the first man, the real man in the story, do you know what form of greed tempts you? I'll tell you this about my own experience. I have found... You know, we started our married life in Charlottesville, 1978, with nothing. We could barely pay our $150 rent at married student housing in Copley Hill. We started with nothing. We've been blessed over 44 years of marriage to accumulate, to have enough income, God's always met our needs. I have found the more I have possessed, the more I've wanted. you young people. And I found this attitude prevalent among my fellow believers and in my own heart. If I can afford it, I'm free to buy it. Now in the economy of the Sherratt family, we have never purchased things we can't afford. By the grace of God, we've lived within our means. By the grace of God. But just because you can afford it, it does not follow, you can buy it. You can challenge that if you want to. I I could be wrong there. I won't say that authoritatively. Think about that. Do some homework. What forms of greed tempt you? Let's go to the next guy. We meet him because Jesus thinks the problem of greed is so important it deserves a parable. Here it is. And we meet the second man, he's a fictitious person, he's betrayed with foolish discontentment because he's not asking the right questions about his wealth. Verse 16, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I now have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I want to ask three questions about the parable. Number one, to whom is the farmer speaking about his wealth? Did you notice? To whom is he speaking? Only himself. Verse 17, he thought to himself, verse 19, I will say to my soul. This looks like a commentary on Proverbs 28, 11. The rich man is wise in his own eyes. He doesn't need or desire counsel about his wealth from anybody else. Who should he speak to about his wealth? Who do you think he should talk to? Should he possibly consult the person ultimately responsible for it? You know, Proverbs 10.22 says it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. Every single person in the history of the world who, if you could consider them rich, it was only and ultimately due to God blessing them. Wealth is a blessing. God gives this blessing. So should he be talking to God about his wealth? It's a very interesting detail in the parable. What's the subject of the story? The land. The land produced productively. And that, so that invites you to say, well, okay, whose land is it? You know Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything it contains. The land is the Lord's. So at the end of the day, it is only because God gave the soil the ability to germinate seed. God created seed. God gave temperate climate. God made the sunshine. He didn't. God brought the rains. You don't. God gave him the intelligence for farming. God gave him the energy to get the crops. To God alone goes the glory for a bumper crop. I'd like an amen to that. <laughs> to God alone is the glory. Psalm one hundred four ten. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man, so that we may bring forth food from the earth. The only reason we have food is God makes the earth work that way. I love this instant where Paul is preaching in pagan polytheistic Lystra. And he, among other things, he says in Acts 14, 17, God did not leave himself without witness. In other words, God has been speaking to you every day of your life. How? He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Every time anybody eats a meal, God is saying, do you see why you have this? Do you see who provided this for you? That's the first question. Here's the second question I want to ask of the parable. What should the farmer have said? How about, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Bumper crops are amazing. This all came from you. Thank you. What wonderful gifts from your hand. And then secondly, what do you want me to do with all of this? Yeah? I am merely a steward of these riches. Oh, and then he goes down to the local synagogue. And on that day, they open 1 Chronicles 29, and they begin reading 1 Chronicles 29, and they hear King David pray the prayer of thanksgiving of the humble man or woman. It's in the bulletin. Let's say it together. It's in the bulletin. Let's say it together. Is the print big enough that you can... We had to squeeze a lot into this outline, so it might not be big enough. Let's say it together. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. I want to cry. It's so true. You know when the offering basket went by earlier? Even though you may have reached for your tithe in your wallet or your pocket, you are actually taking it out of God's hand and putting it into his other. That'll humble us into grateful stewardship. So the healthy mind is obsessed with what thought. Why am I so blessed? Why am I so blessed? Would you download download that into your hard drive? Why am I so blessed? Why do I have so much? Why am I so blessed? Download it. Get it in there. Third question. What would God say to the farmer on the occasion of this bumper crop? Well, that depends on what God cares about. And the Bible tells us God cares about what? The welfare of this farmer and the farmer's neighbors. So we read this in Proverbs 11. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. This is the economics of the kingdom. We could do a whole sermon on that, but let me read on. He who withholds grain, the peoples will curse him, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He has a moral obligation before God to share the fruit of this harvest. And in light of that, God would, because he loves the man and he loves you, God warns you. In love, no one wants better for your soul than the God who made you and redeemed you. No one. God warns us. To whom much is given, much is required. Luke twelve forty eight. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money, nor who loves abundance with its income. Ecclesiastes 5. 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. That should be enough like this. Okay, Lord, keep me from it. Well, that's exactly what Hebrews 13 says. Let your character be free from the love of money. Friends, the love of money is all around you in your culture. It's all around you. Are you what are you doing to keep your character free from that pressure, that impulse, the advertising, the thinking, your peers getting ahead, getting all those nice cars and places. What are you doing to keep your character free from the love of money? God would warn him. And then God, because he loves you, he will instruct you. And he might instruct you uh, with Proverbs three nine: Honor the Lord with your wealth from the first of all your produce. That's why Janice and I, the first check we write at the beginning of the month is our tithe check. The tenth, the tithe, goes to God. He gets the first fruits. And then we have people we support in addition to that. Those checks are written. And that tells us how much we have to live on. Not the opposite. God gets the first fruits. I trust you've been taught that as a follower of Jesus. All right, so um, God says what to the man? I've been generous to you. Be generous to other people. (laughs) Right? Give it away start a minister, start a food bank build a, build a gym for the local church whatever think about what god would say to this man so I'm going to conclude this sermon with this question we've looked at these two individuals now we're going to turn the focus on you god's going to ask you a question based on this text what is that will you talk to me about your wealth Do you feel the bristling in your soul? Um, I can imagine two, at least two responses to that. God is asking you in this text, will you talk to me about your wealth? I can imagine some of you saying, it never occurred to me to do that. Fair enough. But the question is now on the table. Some of you, if you're like me, your impulse is to say, I don't want to talk to God about my wealth. I want sovereignty and autonomy over my wealth. If we're really honest, and we can be honest before our God, I I don't want to know what you have to say. Do you see? Greed has a way of isolating you from God and others. In fact, it's so interesting, um, Middle Eastern scholar Kenneth Bailey he has commentaries on the parables from a Middle Eastern perspective. So interesting. He makes the comment, you have this book in, in your, uh, at your house. <laughs> he makes the comment that, it, that elders, the leaders in Middle Eastern communities, they made decisions in community. This man would have come to the community and said, what do I do with this bumper crop? He's only talking to himself. His real poverty is his loneliness and emptiness of community. Kenneth Billy points out, there's no audience for his speech. I say to myself, no audience for his speech. And the fact that he isn't talking to God about his wealth is a symptom of a more critical problem, and that is his soul's false trust. This is almost a a reflection on Proverbs 18.11. A rich man's wealth It's his own strong city in his own imagination. So the more I have, the less I want anybody interfering with it. The more I have, the more secure I feel. And and, and that's, right? So he says, I'm I'm going to build all these barns and everything. But what has he failed to take into account? The future. So greed is very nearsighted. It keeps you from thinking about eternal destiny, the kingdom. And so Jesus says, verse 20, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, where will they be? That's a commentary on Psalm 39. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath and heaps of wealth and does not know who will gather. It's interesting that in verse 20, your soul required of you, that word required was used in Jesus' day of the return of a loan from a bank. You see what God is saying to you? Your soul and your money are on loan from God. And there'll be a day he calls in what's his. That's why Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, we brought nothing into this world. We're not taking anything out. So, do you see why he's a fool? He is not talking to God about his wealth. He is not talking to God about his soul. He is not talking to God about life and death and eternity. And, and, And that requires Jesus to expose our motives. Verse 21. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Those two are going to be in the same place. And you're saying, well, Mike, how do I become rich towards God? That isn't necessarily an impulse in my soul. I understand. How do do we become rich toward God? Beloved, it's knowing how rich God is toward you. And if you fast forward in Luke 12, you come to verse 32 where Jesus says, the Father has gladly given you the kingdom. In other words, eternal life, paradise, an existence where you own everything in the universe, you never have to worry about greed or sin or death or crying or sorrow. The Father has gladly given it to you. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. You're not good enough for it. God has to give it. Because in order to get to the kingdom, you have to give God absolute perfect righteousness. And you don't have that. Where do you get it? There was a man who talked to God about his wealth. He owned the entire universe. Jesus said to his father one day, Father, I want to set aside all of my glory and seek another treasure. Father, I want a treasure uh, from ruined humanity. I want a treasure of lost, greedy, selfish, helpless, hopeless sinners to be in our family i want them from all the nations so the father sent his son on a mission of love not greed for a harvest of human souls 1 peter 3:18 christ died for sins once for all the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god jesus death on the cross is your richest gain. We've been singing about it. Great job, Casey and Janae, for the songs you picked. Just great job. The cross says it all. There we know. What did Jesus do? The Lord Jesus did. Consider the grace of a Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. that you through his poverty, his death, his humiliation, his suffering, his taking all the judgment due your sins in his body, you might become rich. The richest people in the world are those who have Jesus Christ crucified for them. And that's what faith believes. Ask God for this faith. Faith believes that the cross is sufficient to forgive you. The cross says, I am of infinite value to God giving a son in my place the cross makes your value the cross promises this God will meet your needs the cross gives you a new measure a new measure of giving it's not how much you give but it's what you give up because Jesus gave up all to make you his precious possession I'll just close with a quote from a missionary named Jim Elliott I think this captures this sermon some of you know where I'm going he is no fool to give up when he cannot keep to gain when he cannot lose let me pray for you Lord Jesus our riches our hope our life our justification our reconciliation with your father it's all in you and through you by your righteousness death And resurrection, what a Savior. You came to make us rich. So give our hearts wisdom to weigh this impulse of greed that plagues us all. Deliver us from our foolishness. May we esteem, as you do, the value of our souls. And then use the wealth you delight to give us.